Whenever I take a look at my podcast episode analytics, I can see which episodes are listened to more than others. And one of the ones that I don't want to say necessarily surprised me, but has quickly climbed the ranks was my episode called Diary of an Alcoholic. And if you hadn't had a chance to listen to that, check it out. It's from a couple of weeks ago, Diary of an Alcoholic. And uh, I wanted to go a step further because whenever you guys really sort of respond to and connect with a topic, I want to do more of that to give the people what they want, right? I've had people write me about that episode, tweet me, Instagram me, talking about their experiences with alcoholics and how much they appreciated that episode. So thank you. So now today I want to share an experience that I had with an alcoholic who I was in love with. I want to share what that is like and how devastating it was to my life. So I'm going to be open and raw and expose my own personal foibles and flaws because I'm not proud of that relationship, but I learned a lot and it was incredibly heartbreaking. Let's get into it. Welcome to Big Time Small Talk Podcast. I am your host, Jody Rollins. And first of all, thank you guys for tuning in. It is day two post-election. So I guess election day, day one, day two is today, November 4th. Whew. I mean, wow. I'm actually recording another episode later today. I'm doing an interview. I'm really excited. I'm going to share that with you guys. I'll be posting about it. It'll be my very first interview. And I think she's somebody you will find very interesting. So I'll tease that. I won't overpromise. She's not a famous person, but I think she's got a lot of, a lot of, you know, experiences to share and will be a fantastic guest on the show. So we will cover a whole post-election show again, probably after it's decided who won, but we'll also cover that in the episode that I'm recording later on today. So, which if I have the time will be posted later tonight. So that'll be two fun-filled action-packed episodes in one day, which is a record for me. I try to do several a week, but I haven't, I don't, yeah. No, I take it back. I did do two in one day once before. So anyhow, so we will be talking about the election, but I just have to say, wow, what a merry-go-ride it has been and continues to be. Ah, I won't even get into it. We're not going to talk politics for this moment, for this episode. I will stay away from it. Hopefully this can be a place of Zen and thought process that has nothing to do with politics at least just for this episode. So anyway, so thank you guys for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I always like to share with you. I I, I got a new country that got added to the list. Um, And then a couple of them have shifted right now. Uh, Maybe I already told you guys, but we added France. I may have posted about it. But this show is listened to, if I can remember, I'm not even going to look. I'm going to go by memory. United States. Germany, Canada, United Kingdom, Israel, Australia, Trinidad and Tobago, South Korea, Singapore, Ireland, 
Kuwait and uh, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to look at the little list here. I can't remember the other one. I think there's one more country. Let me look. Let me look. Give me a second here. There's Germany, Canada, Australia. Did I say Australia? I don't think I said Australia, but maybe I did. Ireland and, and Israel. I don't think I said Israel, but if I did, forgive me. That's the list. I'm so excited. Every time there's an additional country, it's just like, wow, this is such a dream come true. So thank you to every single person, no matter where you listen, whether it's in your car, at home, on your earbuds, whatever, whatever country, city, state, island, planet you are listening Thank you. Listening, I, I left that as a dangling participle. Listening, wherever you are listening, <laughs> whatever you are listening on, thank you so much. I appreciate each and every one of you. You can follow me on Instagram under my name, Jody Rollins, or Big Time Small Talk, but I spend most of my time on Instagram under just my name. Um, or Twitter. I don't really, I, I'm on there every day, but it's easier to get a hold of me on Instagram, and I would appreciate the follow. Please like, review, and subscribe the show if you're able to. Some places do not leave a way for you to do that, but if you can, five stars, it makes a huge, huge difference. And um, tell a friend, tell a foe, tell somebody to share, you know, share the show so that just one more person listens. I really, 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 really appreciate it. Growing a podcast is incredibly difficult. So if you share it with just one person, it helps a lot. All right. So got all of that stuff out of the way. Let's get into it, right? So I was thinking about how Diary of an Alcoholic was such a popular episode and I wanted to go a step further and talk about my personal experiences of, or personal experience of being in love with an alcoholic. And so I just, I, I guess I'll just share the story, but I got to tell you, I was madly in love, like truly, madly, deeply, passionately in love with this guy. I was in my early 30s. And I was living in Los Angeles, and as I've said in past episodes, I was a, I was an aspiring actress and singer, and I, you know, like most of us who are living in Los Angeles, you wait tables. And I was working in this really nice fine dining restaurant, and there's locations all over the world, and we got a transfer, and we knew we were getting one other server, and. Um, I, I always used to joke, is he cute? Is he single? Is he cute? Is he single? Because I had been single for several years. I mean, quite a few. And I had dated around here and there, but I wasn't in anything serious. So I had my eyes open, shall we say. I was hoping to find my Mr. Right. I always thought that I would get married at like, you know, 26, 27, 28, and then have my first baby and then whatever. And then 26, 27, 28 came and went. And then 29 came and went. And then next thing you know, I'm in my early, early 30s. And I'm like, wow, I want to get married. What is going on? So, <clears throat> I'm at work one particular day and this guy, I mean, there's really, I'm trying to think if I should tell you guys his real name. He's not a social media person. I have no connections with him. 
I don't, honestly, this sounds terrible. I don't even know if he's dead or alive. I sincerely don't. He was never on social media. And if he was, he went under some, like under a pseudonym. So you couldn't even find him, but he had a really unique name. So just in case I won't say his name, hopefully I won't slip up because I did slip up in the uh, diary of an alcoholic and use her name, but it's a very common name. So we'll call him, whew, what's a good name that I want? We'll call him Marcus. So that's an easy enough name for me to remember. Hopefully I don't mess that up. So I'm working my shift and um, we knew this new hire was coming and I was walking around the corner and we're setting up like you do when you work in a restaurant, you're like setting up all the tables and making sure everything's ready for the beginning of the evening. And I sort of I'm talking to my manager and he says, oh, well, this is, this is Marcus. He's the new hire from such and such a state. And you know how people talk about love at first sight? And I'm always like, mm, I don't know if I believe in that. I think it's possible. But the earth stopped rotating. I don't know what it was. This guy, like, it just, I, it was almost like I heard music. It was just like, oh, like we, our eyes just locked. And I was just like, oh my God, there was just something about him. He wasn't the tallest guy. He wasn't the fittest guy. He wasn't the most attractive guy, you know, but he was cute and he was taller than me. And, you know, he was relatively fit. And, I said some joke, I don't even remember what, what it was, some cheese ball thing, and he kind of chuckled. And there was like a twinkle in his eye. And I just, it like spoke to me. And then the manager walked away. And then I think we kind of went our separate ways throughout the building. And I was sitting up and doing this, and he was sitting up and doing that. And then the rest of the night, we kept just all these different circumstances would happen where we got to talk to each other. And that was always one of the fun things about waiting tables was that you would have these ongoing conversations and then you would stop, go take an order from a table, you know, go deliver a fork ranch and catch up to table 22, 27, and 24, and then come back to your conversation and then stop, go pick up your salad. You know, it was always stop and go. And you could have one conversation over like a three to four hour period. And that's kind of what happened with us. It was just like, we just clicked. And he laughed at my jokes, which is always good if you laugh at my jokes. And I thought he was just so charming. Like I've never, he was from uh, Kentucky originally. And he didn't have like a drawl or anything, but there was, I think he did say y'all and a cup of, I remember he used to say, oh my Lord. Oh my Lord. Like it was a little less than that maybe, but I never, it just, ah, I don't know. So I just found him enthralling and that's not a word that like you use or even I use all the time, but that's the word for him. So a group of us at the end of the shift had decided as we usually did, you know, a couple of nights or so a week, we we're going to go to this local bar. It was like our hangout spot, just like around, like literally around, I think it was across the street. No, that place was around the corner, like half a mile away. And um, it was called Dimples for anybody who might be listening in Los Angeles, Dimples Bar and Grill. No, no, no. I take it back. Sardo's. That was the other place. So Sardo's Bar and Grill. I don't know if it's still there. It's in Burbank. If it was, they did karaoke. Little tiny dive bar, hole in the wall, you know, bar menu, bar food, and karaoke. So 
I gave him a ride, like, you know, he, I, for whatever reason, I gave him a ride to the place with somebody else. And I remember Kelly Clarkson, um, Miss Independent, was playing on the radio when we were driving. Isn't that weird? Do you guys have memories like that? Like, my memory is just, it's always surprising my husband because he's like, how do you remember that? I, I don't know. Like, I remember that. I was thinking, is this too cheesy? Is this too poppy? Is he going to be like, what is this music? Because she's pretty sugary, sweet pop type music. And he was kind of like tapping his head or whatever, or tapping his toe. Long story short. So we get to the, the Sardo's karaoke bar and there's like eight of us. And I'm hoping that we'll end up sitting next to each other because I'm always that one, that person that has the bad luck. You know, if you're hanging out with a group of friends and there's like a cute guy that may be new to the group <laughs> and then you all sit down at the table and you're hoping that you get to sit next to each other and he ends up sitting across the table and at the other end and he's talking to your more attractive friend and you're like, dang it, dang it, dang it, dang it. Well, that didn't happen. Marcus and I, everybody sort of, you know, gathered at the table and just kind of sat down and we just ended up next to each other. And we just talked in this loud karaoke bar. I mean, karaoke bars are extra loud because people are singing off key and, you know, the waiter is coming by trying to sell you drinks and it's crowded and blah, blah, blah. And it was like everything else was silent. Like, I felt like I couldn't hear anyone but him. We just talked and talked and talked. I think I may have sang. I used to sing karaoke there all the time. And not to toot my own horn, but I brought the house down. I used to sing um, James, oh my God, what was his name? It's called Steamroller by James. I can't think of his name, but it'll hit me in a minute. But it's like this big, belty, like bluesy song. And he was like, man, you got these pipes. And I sing and play the guitar. And I'm just like, wow. Okay. So you get the idea. We instantly clicked. And I remember the thing he said that I wish I had noticed that I should have turned and gone the other direction. I should have known that it was like, nee, 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 siren, you know, red flag, get away from this guy. But I had no experience with alcoholism. And I had never been an alcoholic. I did have an alcoholic friend, you know, maybe a few years back, but I wasn't in love with that friend. I just didn't see him as much. Like, this was something special. So, I didn't see when he said this that I should have turned the other way, that I should have never invested one more moment other than just associates at work with this guy. We're chit-chatting. He's drinking, but everybody drinks. I have no problem with that. wasn't a big deal. But he says, and I quote, and I'll never forget, yeah, I have kind of a problem with alcohol. And now if I were single and I heard that, I'd be like, I'm out of here. Good to know you, you know, done. But when I heard it, I just thought, well, he's drinking now and he admitted it. So he's not an alcoholic, right? Because to me, alcoholics were like, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with alcohol. I can quit anytime I want to. So I didn't think that you could be an alcoholic and sort of know it and admit it to someone you just met if you weren't taking care of it. So I thought that meant that he's like, oh, you know, I have a problem, but I, I just keep my eye on it and I just don't drink too much. And I thought, you can do that because he wasn't like wasted and he seemed fine, you know, probably buzzed, if you will. 
And the rest of the night, I don't remember, but I do remember feeling like I was on cloud nine and I couldn't wait till he was working the next day to, you know, with me. I don't remember how many shifts we worked together, but we worked together a lot. And the next thing you know, for sure, I am like dreaming about this guy. Like I am madly in love. We just laughed. A bunch of us would always go to karaoke and he would drink. And then I noticed he would drink more, but a lot of people did that. So I just didn't, I didn't think it was a concern right off the bat. But then I started to notice that he drank all the time that we went out. He didn't quite stop, right? Like other people would stop and like work out a, a, you know, a DD, a designated driver, but he didn't pay any attention to that and definitely drank too much, to excess. But by then I was hooked. And I remember I don't even remember how it started, but we were having this conversation in the car and I wanted to tell him. I was just like so overwhelmed and enraptured and like I said, enthralled and just like the epitome of just lost in love with this guy that I couldn't even like not tell him. Cause I was like, all right, we're hanging out all the time. We hang out at his place. I think we hung out at my place once, but mostly it was his because it was closer to work and then after work and in groups and separately. And I just couldn't take it anymore. And I was just, I don't remember the words I said, but I said something like, I have a crush on you, which seems so juvenile. And I was like, oh God, he's going to be like, what? I don't feel that way. And whatever he said, it wasn't that. It wasn't, oh yes, Jody, I love you too, and let's have a relationship. But it wasn't, oh my gosh, get lost. I don't feel that way. Friend zoned. It was some weird, like his face and his body language said, oh my gosh, this is awesome. But his words said, uh, uh, you know, like literally, like he didn't make sense. Whatever he said, that's why I don't remember it, didn't make sense. It was kind of like, a non-response, but I'll never forget looking over at him and I'm like hanging onto the steering wheel and I kind of look out of the side of my corner of my eye. And he literally was just like his whole body changed and he had this little kind of smile and that twinkle in his eye again when I said I had feelings for him. And so I was upset that he didn't say, yeah, let's see where this goes. Let's see who we are to each other. Let's be in a relationship, whatever. But I was happy that he didn't say, I don't feel the same. And I saw, I saw his body language saying something positive. So I sort of lived on that. And in hindsight, I realized the reason why that was true, and we'll just skip to my hindsight, was because he had been a drunk for 10 years. He didn't just have a problem with alcohol. He was a full-on, full-fledged, drunk-driving, drunken alcoholic. And it got bad. It got really bad. And I'll tell you the rest of the story coming up after the break. Stay with me.
Thank you guys for staying with me after the break. Welcome back. So when we left off, I was talking about Marcus and how it just got so bad. I mean, it went to a dark place. Here I was infatuated, enthralled, enraptured, whatever you want to call it, in love with this drunk. And I remember at a certain point, I was thinking, okay, this isn't going anywhere. We would stay up late talking and it felt like our souls were exchanging information. Like it was that deep of a connection, but he'd be drunk. And the weird thing was, was this is what kind of messed with my mind. When he was sober, he was brooding, he was quiet, he was aloof, he was curt, he was rude. When he was drunk, he was considerate and loving and thoughtful and kind. And so again, dual personalities, like sincerely two totally different people in one person, another red flag. But again, in my naivete, I thought that if you're an alcoholic, you're a nice, decent person when you're sober and when you're drunk, you're the asshole right? You're this terrible, mean, nasty person. That's what I thought drunks were, or they were quiet or something, but he was nicer when he was drunk. He was more outgoing and gregarious and funny. And like, he would think of things and talk about what we could do in the future and say these romantic, meaningful things about how he and I had a connection like he had never experienced before. But then he would get drunker and drunker and start talking about what I later found out was his ex-wife. He'd been married for like three or four years when he was like 19 to 24, whatever the math would be, but so young. And he just would pine for this girl. And I began to realize that he's drunk because he can't deal with the fact that this girl left him. I never knew for sure if it was he was drunk and therefore she left him or she left him and therefore he became a drunk. But his whole family, I later had uh, discovered, his whole family had basically cut him out of their life because of his alcoholism, which is why, among other reasons, he moved from Kentucky to Los Angeles to start a completely new life where no one knew him. And I was the dingbat who fell in love with him and opened my world, my life, my heart, other places to this man. And I, you know, started to realize that this I was living the life of an alcoholic because we would stay up so late talking, which was great. If you're a girl, you love a guy that's going to talk to you, but he would be at his apartment and I would be at my apartment. And I remember dozens of times where we'd get off work and I'd be hoping he'd be calling me. Hope, 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 hope. And I remember I'd be at home watching a, I had DVR'd American Idol when American Idol was brand new and really popular. And he didn't call and I'd be so upset. And then one in the morning he would call and I might still be awake. Or even if I wasn't, I would wake up and take the call. And we would talk and one o'clock became two, two o'clock became three, three o'clock became four and so on and so on. Next thing you know, it's 10 in the morning and I'm exhausted and I would try to get off the phone with him and he'd be like, wait, 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 I want to ask you about this and share this with you. And it was almost like this game where he would pull me into this world of his alcoholism. 
And it was this play, it was almost like an altered reality because everything was okay. And he made me feel so loved, but he was drunk. And so it's 10 in the morning and I'd be like, I have to go to sleep. And I would start maybe at seven, I have to go to sleep. And then it would be eight, I have to go to sleep and then be nine. Finally at 10, I'm like, I'm going to sleep. And then I'd sleep the whole day and then get up and work my night shift and my day was gone. And I would do that here and there and sometimes several days in a row. And sometimes we talked till, I remember one time, I think we talked till one the next day. So from like midnight to 1 p.m. I mean, just talking. He'd play music for me. I mean, my husband now would be like, that's possible? What does anybody have to say for that many hours? But we did. We were like these young lovebirds, but he was a drunk. And I started to realize I am basically an alcoholic too, because I am living an alcoholic's life. If I wasn't on the phone with him, I was worried about him because he may or may not have been driving drunk. He drove drunk all the time. I picked him up from places so he wouldn't drive drunk. I picked him up when he like crashed his car into the side of the ditch. Like, you know, it was so he couldn't drive it. It was, um, what do you call it? Um, disabled, but it, he didn't hurt anybody or himself. And it wasn't major. He just had to get a couple things fixed and then it would work. But I picked him up and I told him, you get one call like this, just one, three in the morning, you're up in the, the, the hills, Coldwater Canyon for you Los Angeles listeners, which is where the Hollywood people live, generally speaking, these, this twisty, turny road, and he crashed. Thank God he didn't kill somebody or hurt somebody. And I said, you get one chance when I will pick you up. This is it. And I never picked him up again, but he drove drunk. One other time he came into my apartment. I'm sleeping. It's three in the morning. And you know how you get the chain on your door? I think I had given him a key to my apartment because he would just stay over, come and go. But I was over his shenanigans. I was like, I can't do this. I need to work. I had a second job. I worked in the daytime. I was falling asleep at my day job. It's terrible. So I'm like, I'm, no, we're not doing this anymore. I need to get my rest. So I locked the door, put the chain on and went to bed. He broke into my apartment. He pushed, like he used the key, but then he pushed the door so hard that the chain broke and he was able to come into my apartment and I'm sound asleep. And I remember somebody like touched my shoulder and I woke up and I like screamed like bloody murder because you're in deep sleep and someone is in your apartment when you live alone. I just was like, and because my dog knew him, my dog didn't even bark, you know? And I'm just like, what the, I won't even say the F word, but that's what I said. And he's like, said some drunken crap because this is what they do. It's a whole manipulative game and they bring you into their world. And I can't speak for all alcoholics, but the ones that do this, he was like, I care about you. I missed you. I need you in my life. I don't want you to. And the next thing you know, he literally fell backwards in my apartment. Like he was talking and he went to like put his bag down and he fell like with all of his weight without catching catching his own body weight onto my hardwood floors. It sounded like somebody dropped a human being. Like it was so loud. And I don't know how he didn't knock himself out. He didn't hit his head, but I was just, I've never seen anybody do anything like that then or since where somebody 
is so wasted that they don't even catch themselves because they're out of it, like put out their arms, nothing. And it was so disgusting to me and I was just so turned off. But what did I do? He spent the night and I felt sorry for him. And that's the thing. I look back and I'm like, wow, what does that say about me? And that's why I said, you know, I'm exposing myself. I'm being raw and being open. And look, you can write me and say, you were crazy. And I was. I just didn't see it. And as I began to see it and I pulled away, he pulled closer and said, we should take a vacation. And we went to the Grand Canyon and all of these things. And then I was like, I'm done. I'm done. It was like I had to quit him like he needed to quit drinking. I literally had to cut him out of my life. I left my job. I went to work somewhere else because I couldn't handle being around him. It was like my own addiction. And then he kept calling. I like blocked his number. I remember months and months went by and eventually I started dating somebody else. And this is, this shows you how long ago this was during the MySpace era. For those of you, um, millennials, Gen Z, whatever's who don't remember or know about MySpace. It's like Facebook, but um, it was more creative and I'm sure you've heard of it. But anyway, it was a social media site. So I was dating this guy and he figured out who the guy was based on the comments he left on my page. And at like two, three in the morning, he messages this guy and introduces himself. And I'm like, I'm in this new relationship that's brand new and I have to have that conversation. The new guy is like, who is this drunk? Like he didn't know he was a drunk. So he said, who is this guy who's reaching out to me? I think he thinks you have a different relationship with him than you do. So now he's messing with my new life. And I have to say, stop it. And I, you know, it just took me back. And in between there, back, we had fights and it was all this stuff. And then I'm just not a fighter yelling. And it was my whole life became about him and his alcoholism. And it just took over. And finally, after I cut him off, after the new guy and everything, that was it. Like he got the message. And later on, I found out that he ended up dating this girl and moving in with her. And somebody told me that she was an alcoholic too. I remember one time I bumped into him at the gym and it was like a year later and it was just like, oh, I like hid behind the post. I'm like, oh my God, I don't want him to see me. And then I thought, you know what? I, I have nothing to hide. Why should I hide? I'm, I did nothing wrong. I put up with his garbage. I accepted a drunk into my life. I did that wrong. Sure, for my life. But I didn't do anything where I should be like hiding in the gym behind the post. And so I got on the treadmill and then we saw each other and we said some small talk. And he's like, yeah, I live over blah, blah, blah. And never saw him again. Never saw him again. I think, I'm trying to remember if he called me one other time or I suspected that he called me or something. But to this day, I don't, and that was 2004 or five. I have no idea if he is dead or alive. I don't know anybody who knows him, who knows. So nothing. But I wanted to share this story because somebody listening right now one of you, probably, maybe you are an alcoholic, you know an alcoholic, you're married to an alcoholic, you're engaged to one, your relative, your friend, God help you if you have an alcoholic that is deceased, it is all consuming. 
Because when they're not drinking, you're worried that they will. And when they are drinking, you're worried that they are. I've watched so many episodes of, um, what's that show that it's actually still on intervention on A&E, which is really like gripping. A lot of times now they do it on heroin and different opioids and um, crystal meth and things like that. But it used to be predominantly alcoholism. And honestly, that helped me sort of open my eyes and see what I was doing to my life because of him. Like it, it became such a mess. And it's funny because it happened so fast. All of that that I described was probably a year which is a long time, but it flew by. So it was like on and off after about six months and then it was over. And I'm so grateful that I didn't end up pregnant, that I didn't, I mean, we tried to stage an intervention and a friend told him about the intervention so he didn't show up. We had lined up a, a clinic rehab place for him to go to and because the friend told him, he didn't show up, which was great, right, to have a friend expose the intervention. But I watched that show and I saw myself as this sad sack, worried about an alcoholic and not focused on my own life, not being available to date because I had my eye on this idiot, right? And I wanted to share this because I know if not today or tomorrow, maybe six years from now, if I keep doing this podcast a year from now, whatever, I think there's a chance that somebody is listening. And if I can be the voice of reason for you, somebody listening out there who's dealing with an alcoholic, let me just tell you, first of all, you're not alone, but don't let them take over your life. They need to heal themselves. They need to take care of their alcoholism. They need to take care of their problems. The girl that I spoke about in my diary of an alcoholic, she's not sober. I don't know what kind of help if she attempted to get, if any. I don't think so. But she's still posting strange things on Facebook. And so I did what I could and I'm out. And that's the thing with alcoholics. They have to, this whole idea where they have to reach rock bottom, and this is what I learned from intervention, and it's very helpful, a great resource. You can, it's on Hulu. I think it's on gosh, a couple other channels. It's not on Netflix. You could find old episodes. You can Google them, find them on YouTube, Intervention by A&E, if you're not familiar with it, the A&E channel. And you can see like what alcoholics do to your life. And you can see how it's this, it's this game of guilt and they, they, they take all of your focus and instead of you focusing on a healthy relationship or your job or whatever, it's all you think about. And that's what it was like for me. So anybody out there, if you're going through this or you know someone who's going through this or if it is you, the idea that you have to wait for rock bottom isn't the case. And again, I'll say this, it was what they say all the time on intervention and any expert. Rock bottom has to be forced, right? You have to cut these people out of your life. You have to make it known that you're not going to pay for them. You're not going to rescue them. You're not going to clean up their messes for them because then they can't live the alcoholic life. Same with drugs. It's easy if they have their fa family members paying for their cell phone or they couch surf. So 
it's important to make sure you just focus on your own dang life. And so I learned a lot. I learned about myself and I can tell you, I am not the same woman then that I am now. I mean, that was a long time ago, many, many, many years ago. And even if God forbid, somehow I ended up single and luckily I'm very happily married. Yes, it is possible to be happily married. I love my husband. He's amazing. He truly is my best friend. I'm very lucky, very grateful. But if something happened and I ended up single, there is not a chance in hell I would date an alcoholic. I would recognize the red flags and I would turn around and go the other direction faster than fast. I see it now. I see it in friends of friends. I see it in family members. You can't hang around and help them find the rock bottom. You need to force it. Cut yourself out of their life. Let them get the help they need and get on with your life. I wish I hadn't spent a year of my life. Who knows what I could have done? I could have gone to an additional audition and maybe gotten that commercial or that sitcom or that movie. I could have maybe, you know, dated somebody else who was sane and sober and stable but I was so focused on this guy. And that's what I guess I had to go through and learn. I wouldn't have, I'll say this, I wouldn't have even given him the time of day if I had met him today. Because then I was single. Los Angeles is a really difficult place to date. I think anywhere can be difficult. Thank God I'm not having to, to do dating apps and all of that crap that single people have to go through. My heart goes out to you. But I was just, you know, Los Angeles can be a very lonely, isolating place. I love LA. I know it gets a bum rap. All people talk about is the traffic. But when you live there, you know, all the little shortcuts and the, I mean, the great things about it. It's great for opportunity and the arts and creative people who get you and great restaurants and all these things. And it's beautiful weather. So I love LA. Always will but it can be very isolating and you can feel very much like, how am I going to do this? I'm an actress with 10 billion other actresses trying to make it. How am I going to make it? So you feel alone. And dating was so difficult, so difficult. Listen to the episode that I talk about my dating adventures. It's, <laughs> it's another episode from early on in, the, my, in my podcast series. It's comical, but heartbreaking. It was hard and I was lonely. And, and I know, actually, I do want to do an episode about loneliness because I think it's something that we all go through at certain points in our lives, and no one really talks about loneliness. I was definitely lonely. And he came along when I was at a low point. And in the beginning, it felt like sunshine. And I will say this, and I'll never, I've never forgotten this. The thing about being with an alcoholic, and I hope you hear me because I've said this to other friends and family members or people I've known who've dealt with alcoholics or may still have been at the time I said it. Being with an alcoholic is like being in the sun because when they're in whichever state is best for them, whether they're drunk or sober, whenever they're in that state, it's like they, they are all focused on you and it's warm in this sunlight and it's cozy and it's great. But whenever they're not in that state, it's cold and it's dark and it's isolating. And you go back and forth and you toggle. And that's how it was with this Marcus person, right? When he was drunk, it was like I was the most important person next to alcohol, the most important person, right, on the planet. 
He was laser focused on me and would remember the most finite of details about my life and personal stories that I shared with him, even when he was drunk. Not all the time, but often and regularly. But when he was sober, like I mentioned, he was aloof. He didn't know how to be a person without alcohol. And it was sad to watch. So if you're going through this, if anybody needs someone to talk to, I am by no means an expert. You can always write me, bigtimesmalltalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram, like I said, or wherever. You guys know how to reach me. I'm happy to support you to the best of my ability. It is a difficult thing to go through. I am glad that that is behind me. It's many, 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 many years ago. I learned a lot. I'm a stronger more self-secure person. And, you know, we live and we learn. And I hope none of you are dealing with this. It isn't fun. It wasn't fun. And I'm glad I got the opportunity to share it with you guys. Because, as I always say, that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Thank you.